the the idea of the imamate in Twelver uh, Shiism, which is the Iranian one, and 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 in Beirut as well, um, they have this idea of the infallibility of the imam that the that the imam um, can't make mistakes. The imam is guided by God. But in, <laughs> yeah. In Zaydism, that's not true. Uh, in Zaydism, it's a human being. The, the imam is a human being and can make mistakes and can be overthrown. Uh, but they believed that the imamate was uh, backward and that um, they needed to found a republic in order to modernize Yemen and bring Yemen into the modern world. Uh, free officers. They called themselves the free officers in Yemen. Um, and they... Wait, Nasser was Egyptian. Correct. They modeled themselves on what Nasser did in Egypt. So they, oh. took, inspiration. they took inspiration from Nasser. Okay. And uh, they wanted to found a republic. He gave the speech in which he he created the the famous slogan of the of the uh, movement, which is uh, "How's it go? Death to Israel, death to America, curse the Jews, long live Islam." And <laughs> He's covered all his bases. That's right. That's right. That's right. And um, he gave that he gave that speech, and then his he he told his followers to go to go around through the mosques and start saying that. Who are the Houthis of Yemen? One simple explanation is that they are a Shiite terrorist group supported by the Islamic Republic of Iran. <laughs> but then again, like everything related to the Middle East, that's merely the simple explanation. Welcome to Unraveling the Middle East. In this week's conversation, we go back to the 9th century. We travel through the three major Middle East trade routes before the construction of the Suez Canal, to a which traversed through Yemen. No wonder that the Portuguese, the British, and the Ottomans fought over Yemen and occupied and colonized it at various times. We take a crash course through Yemen's many civil wars since the 1960s, its reunification, and its renaissance in the 1990s. But what about the Houthis? Well, all of this fascinating history sets the stage for our understanding of the Houthis whose brand of Shiaism is much different than Iran Shiaism. And while religion is important to understanding the Houthis because they use quotes from the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad often as encouragement for and justification of their goals and actions, at the heart of it all, what they do is more about geopolitics. And that's an important point. We often attribute the chaos and complexities of the Middle East to religion. That's incorrect. It's a grossly simplified Western view of the Middle East. More often than not, what happens in the Middle East is about geopolitics. It's about power. Unraveling the Middle East is a special series production of the History Behind News program, where 125 scholars and counting explain the histories behind our current events. And I'm Atel Ali, your host. In the four seasons of the History Behind News podcast, I've had the pleasure of speaking with many prominent scholars about Palestine, Israel, Lebanon, Turkey, 
Arabia, and Iran, and its Persian past. But you know what? We've only scratched the surface here. So join me and my guest scholars in this fascinating journey into the history, myths, and mysteries of the Middle East. My guest for this episode is Dr. Charles Schmidt, a professor at Townsend University and a non-resident scholar at the Middle East Institute. He is a specialist on the Middle East and Yemen. He started his academic career as a Fulbright Scholar and an American Institute for Yemeni Studies Fellow in Yemen in the early 1990s, studying the country's engagement with the international monetary funds reforms and the rise of Yemen's oil economy. During the 2000s, Dr. Schmitz worked for the defense of Yemeni detainees at Guantanamo Bay while also heading the American Institute for Yemeni Studies. His current research interests include the political economy of development in Yemen, international law, international governance and failing states, and the sociology of contemporary Yemeni society. Dr. Schmitz has authored many publications, including the following. Houthi Vision of the State, a Houthi Republic with an unofficial Imam, which is a part of a 2022 book titled The Houthi Movement in Yemen, Ideology, Ambition, and Security in the Arab Gulf. Second, Weighing the Tribal Factor in Yemen's Informal Politics. And third, Dictionary of Yemen. To learn more about Dr. Schmitz, you can visit his homepages at Towson University and the Middle East Institute, the links for which are provided in the detailed caption of this episode. So, stay with me as Dr. Schmitz and I unravel the Middle East. Dr. Schmitz, it's a pleasure to have you on our program. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation with me. Um, from the 1960s to the present, Yemen has experienced many civil wars, revolutions, and a long list of foreign military involvements and even interventions. So what are some key points that you wish to highlight for us so that we better understand this complex and frankly turbulent background? It's a good question. Uh, I would I would say that the um, the foreign intervention goes back even further. Further. Further, yeah. So it's a geopolitically strategic spot. It's on Bab Amanda, uh, those straits. You know, it's right on the Red Sea. Um, Is that the Horn of Africa? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, well, the Horn of Africa, Somalia sticks out, but then uh -huh. yet sticks in to make, you know, the, those straits where the Red Sea, uh, uh, that open into the Red Sea from the Gulf of Aden. Uh, and it's a strategic point because a lot of commerce is going through there uh, from the Far East and from uh, the Middle East through there to Europe and then on to the United States. Of course, it cuts the it cuts the route off of going around the Horn of Africa, which is what they had to do before the Suez Canal. Um, so in, in essence, really, the Yemen is on the other end of the Suez Canal, uh, you know, it, yeah. it's a very strategic uh, position. And um, I mean, the Ottomans showed up. Uh, uh, in response to Portuguese incursions way back. Oh, well, Portuguese were there. Interesting. Yes, the, yes, the Portuguese had uh, forts along the Yemeni court, uh, coast. And then uh, 
uh, more significantly, uh, the British in 1839 showed up. And uh, this is prior to the, the Suez Canal is 1867. But the, the, the Brits recognize it as a strategic spot. And it becomes, a, it, it eventually is a colony. Aden is a colony of the British. Um, oh. And uh, wait, if you say, uh, when you say it's a colony of the British, that means, did they take it away from the Ottomans? Uh, was so they, took it over, they took it away from the local rulers. I see. So the Ottomans uh, had two occupations, uh, one in the 16th century, and then uh, they returned again in the 19th century. Um, the first time they came in response to the Portuguese, and the second time they came in response to the British. And uh, the, the British recognized it as a key position, and it became a very important coaling station. Uh, when ships, uh, you know, went from sail to to coal, and um, oh, so you mean like for shipping fuel, coal for? Yeah, oh, the, the point, the, the yeah. port of, of Aden is a wonderful natural harbor, and the Brits recognized that, and they uh, took it from local rulers uh, in 1839, and it was actually the Ottomans and the British that divided Yemen into what became North and South Yemen. Uh, they drew the line. And so oh. Yemen is, was, the division of Yemen was by foreign intervention, and to a large extent it was. Uh, I see. Um, and, um, Dr. Schmitz, I just want to make sure, and I, I hope this is not a study question, I want to make sure I follow this the, the strategic importance of Yemen prior to the Suez Canal. So there was no shipping from the Red Sea into the Mediterranean before this modern version of Suez Canal, right? So you know, they 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 would. Uh, so uh, the the trade routes through the Middle East, which is what the British were interested in, um, they you could you could go through the Gulf of Aden up the Red Sea and then go overland through Cairo and up to Alexandria. Okay, overland. I see. Or, or uh, you could go through the Persian Gulf, right, and then through what is now Kuwait, Iraq, uh, Jordan, Palestine. You could go that way as well. Or uh, they would come and they would land in uh, Yemen and go. They would go all the way up the spine of the Hejaz Mountains, where Mecca and Medina are. Uh, that's always been a trade route, and they would go all the way through overland through the Arabian Peninsula to the Mediterranean. Uh, but it was so two of the three routes that you were mentioning. Uh, from sort of India to the Mediterranean came through Yemen. One was overland through Arabia. The other one was shipping uh, up north on the Red Sea and then land route through Cairo. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so it was always strategic. I mean, the first Ottoman occupation, of course, it wasn't so much the, the trade routes. It was just keeping the Portuguese out of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, but those trade routes are ancient. Those trade routes have been going on for a long, long time. Okay. So, how does this get us to the okay yes the yes. craziness of the 1960s? Yes. Okay. Um, so, mm, uh, for today's for for the topic of today, of course, uh, the Houthis are uh, uh, the, at the core of it, uh, and um, the Houthis are um, they before are, before we get to the Houthis, uh, if I may. Uh, Dr. Schmitz, I'm wondering, going back to the 1960s, what events, what big events 
happened that got us to this current point. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's and, where I was going. So oh, that's where you were going. Oh, I, okay, please. These are our, uh, um, their roots will lie uh, in the Zaidi Amendment. Uh, the Zaidi, the, the Zaidi Amendment first. The first amendment was in um, eight ninety uh, in in Yemen. So uh, over a thousand years ago. Uh, and in the northern part of Yemen, the far north of Yemen, the mountainous tribal areas of Yemen, uh, there has been a Zaidi amendment uh, for that long period of time. And in the 16th century, um, the the, auto, the 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 Zaidis in the north, the Zaidi amendment expanded and took uh, most of what is now uh, Yemen. So it expanded into the southern and the eastern parts of of Yemen. And uh, the Zaidi far north has dominated Yemen since the 16th century. And the, the Zaidis, uh, the Zaidi is a form of Shiism. Uh, and the key, uh, one of the key tenets of it is the existence of an imamate. In other words, a, 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 the existence of a, a, a religious scholar who is also a political leader uh, who leads the, the, the Muslim community, which is to say the 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 state like like a like an imam like the Shia imam in in Iran Shiaism yes but the key thing there the key difference is that the uh, the the idea of the imamate in Twelver uh, Shiism which is the Iranian one and 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 in Beirut as well um, they have this idea of the infallibility of the imam that the that the imam um, can't make mistakes the imam is guided by God but it, <laughs> yeah. In Zaidism, that's not true. Uh, in Zaidism, it's a human being. The, the imam is a human being and can make mistakes and can be overthrown. And that's an important part of of, uh, of Zaidism because there were lots of competing um, uh, candidates for the imam and they would go back that's and forth. That's a big difference. Yes, it is a yeah. big difference. Okay. And here, let's just say now that as a result of that, uh, and, and what they say is that um, – you, in order to be uh, eligible for the imam, you must be a descendant of the Prophet through Fatman Ali, which is the line that the Shia consider to be critical for being. So, uh, Fatma being uh, Prophet Muhammad's daughter and Ali being his cousin and son-in-law. Correct. Correct. And I see. and see, Shia and Shiism in general, Ali is seen as the rightful uh, yeah. leader of the Muslim community, uh, and. Uh, when we we talk about the descendants of the prophet, which the Sunni is also the descendants of the prophet is is also amongst the Sunni, but they have a wider definition of of who qualifies. Uh, and amongst uh, in Zaidism, you have to be a member of that to be eligible to be a mem. And so there was a class of people in Yemen uh, that that um, that claimed descent uh, from the prophet, and so they had a I want to say they were they were eligible, uh, and the Houthi family is uh, one of those Sada. And the in Yemen, there the the religious the Zaidi religious scholars they would have uh, sort of lineages of of prominent scholars, and the Houthi come from one of those uh, one of those lineages. And in 1962, um, the in, in Yemen, there was a revolution against the imamate, uh, and it was oh. on Gamal Abdel Nasser's uh, uh, free officers. They called themselves the free officers in Yemen, 
Um, and they wait, Nasser was Egyptian. Correct. They modeled themselves on what Nasser did in Egypt. So they oh. took inspiration. They took inspiration from Nasser. Okay. And uh, they wanted to found a republic. Uh, and, and in fact, it was uh, the the Imam's generals that were the leading proponents of this. And so they 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 were of, they were Zaidi themselves. We have to distinguish between those that those that claim descent from the prophet and they just an ordinary person who follows the Zaidi uh, school, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the generals, were, of course, were Zaidi. They were from the north, uh, but they believed that the imamate was uh, backward and that um, they needed to found a republic in order to modernize Yemen and bring Yemen into the modern world. And, um, of course, the key to uh, a republic is that all citizens are equal and all citizens have the ability to be a leader, can be elected president. Yeah, of course, of course. And so this didn't sit well, of course, with with <laughs> with the Zaydis. Now, we've got to be clear about this. I mean, a lot of sort of the Zaydi North supported the, the revolution. And to your to your point, um, immediately upon. Uh, they 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 tried to kill the the existing imam. He they didn't they didn't succeed. He escaped to the north, uh, and there um, he rallied tribes uh, and uh, with Saudi backing, he tried to uh, to uh, reclaim his his throne, uh, his his leadership, uh, and uh, Nasser invaded with the Egyptians invaded uh, to support the revolution. Oh. Uh, and this, they had a civil war for eight years uh, that uh, more or less ended in a stalemate. Uh, but the key to it was um, the 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 republic survived. So the idea of a republic survived, um, but it was led by conservative uh, tribal leaders and uh, some religious leaders. So it was conservatism, socially conservative, but it but the republic uh, uh, survived. And uh, for I'm sorry, for, when you say socially conservative, was it like an Islamic republic or just no, a republic? Okay. No, uh, there there were uh, Islamic currents, yes, um, and we can say that following on a little bit um, that at that point, uh, so 1970, at that point, uh, South Yemen, which had been under the British, uh, uh, became independent. And it went far to the left, so it became a Soviet client state. Oh, and, okay. Um, the the Saudis, of course, were fearful of communism, as the rest of the Arabian Peninsula was, and so the Saudis bolstered North Yemen, the North Yemeni government, and bolstered particularly conservative elements and particularly Islamic elements. Yes, because uh, in the Middle East, always Islam is used against communists because communists, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, the conservativeness and okay and and so so let me just say that the uh, the Sada the Sada are those people who claim descent from the Prophet. <clears throat> they were they were were in a difficult position. So uh, you know a key tenet of Zaidism is that there be an Imam and that the Imam be um, you know someone of Descent to the prophet. And here they are all of a sudden in a republic. What are they going to do? And it, it did throw the the Zaidi community into a uh, you know some some thinking, some rethinking. And there were lots of proposals that were made. 
some tried to use uh, Zaidi, uh, you know, traditions and customs to justify a, a republic and to having a non uh, a non sada, a non uh, descent of the descendant of the prophet as the leader. So there were reformulations of Zaidism that that happened, and then there were. Uh, you know, there was a Zaidi party that was formed uh, in 1990 when Yemen unified um, to, you know, participate in electoral politics. Actually, Hussein al-Houthi, the founder of the Houthi movement, was a he was a representative in parliament uh, for that party, Hizb al-Haq. Uh, and, uh, you know, that means I mean, uh, party of justice. Hizb al-Haq. Yes. Yes. Yeah. OK. Yes. Hizb uh, party of truth. Party okay, part of truth. Oh, okay, I see. Party of truth. Could be justice, yeah. Adala is usually justice. I see. Um, so, Zaidi party participates in 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 parliamentary politics in 1990. Yes, and so uh, you know the 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 Zaidi. I mean, many many of the the Zaidi. Those that are Sada, the descendants of the Prophet, uh, you know, who are um, and generally they are well educated and and um, generally they um, uh, do well, uh, and they have in the past. They were the ones that were um, the the Imam's bureaucracy in the past uh, in the state and whatnot. So they're uh, the the elite among them are are well qualified people, um, you know, quite quite educated. <clears throat> Uh, some of them just, you know, became part of the republic and served the republic, uh, and and you know, didn't worry about Zaidi theology and, and the implications of the republic. Yeah. But there was, and then in addition to that, the other factor that happened in that period was Saudi Arabia was supporting, uh, you know, conservative Islamic elements among them, uh, you know, Salafis uh, and the Muslim Brotherhood in Yemen, in the northern part of Yemen. And uh, they were having success in the northern part. Um, and so there was, in general, amongst uh, Zaydis, the idea that Zaydism needed to be, needed to be um, made relevant to the, to the young, uh, needed, needed to be made relevant to the new uh, generation, needed to be made relevant to, uh, you know, living in the, in the republic. And uh, so they started kind of a cultural revival movement. Uh, many oh. of them. Um, uh, you know, uh, university students uh, who who are not, you know, the sort of traditional uh, Muslim scholar of the past. That mm -hmm. model, um, they're 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 educated at university, and you know, they started making CDs for distribution and tapes for distribution. And the idea was to counter the influence of uh, the Salafis in the north and uh, the Muslim Brotherhood in the north, both of whom were. Sunni Muslims. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. still are Sunni Muslims. Yeah, that's still what I meant. Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we should add that the Salafis, in particular, in 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 the north, uh, they targeted the Zaydis because, uh, and they targeted the the very idea that somehow Zaydis were privileged in their leadership. The Sada, excuse me, the Sada, the, the descendants of the Prophet. Uh, they they espoused a an egalitarianism that all Muslims are are equally qualified. And um, that that got really at the heart of you know Zaidi the, the, the uh, Zaidi identity, and uh, so that they reacted and they reacted first with this cultural movement, right? Mm -hmm. um, and for a time in North Yemen, 
the competition between you know these Salafis and the and in the Muslim Brotherhood and uh, the, the the Zaidi revival movement was a competition of of, of uh, summer camps for kids. Oh, and, yeah, <laughs> this is what they were doing. And the Saudis, of course, were well funded, and so kids were going to it, and they were being influenced. And so the the Zaidi movement did the same thing. It was called the the uh, the Believing Youth. The Believing uh, the Youth. And. Um, then uh, in um, so so in the in the 90s, we should say that that um, you know Yemen fought two wars. The two Yemens fought two wars that were that were cold wars, right? That was part of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. South Yemen being Soviet allied and North Yemen being uh, Saudi and, and U.S. allied. Uh, and uh, then uh, in 1990. As the Soviet Union collapsed, um, the two Yemens got together, and they decided that they would uh, have a liberal republic. They would, that political parties would be legal. There hadn't been political parties before. So this that. is a unification. This is a unification, 1990, okay. uh, and that the leadership of the new government would be um, would be determined by elections. And um, this sounds it, good. Yes, it sounds very good. Yes. Yeah. Sounds okay. very good. Uh, it didn't work. Uh, they had elections, but then they had a civil war in 1994 in which the North sort of uh, overran the South. So the, the electoral process didn't quite work that way. But in that period, the the there was a Zaidi party. That's the Hizbul Haq. And Hussein Houthi was the representative from 1993, I think, to 1997 uh, in that party. And then... He he gave up on that. I mean, Ali Abdel Salah, who was the longtime ruler, who was overthrown in the Arab Spring, his regime was kind of soft authoritarian. So you know, always elections and always you know formally uh, you know looked like a liberal state. Um, but he had lots of ways of, of you know sort of getting his way, controlling, uh, muscling his way through. Yes, that's right. That's right. And Hossein Ahouthi seems to have, you know, given up on that, on, on electoral politics. Uh, and he went away, he studied in Sudan, and he came back in the early 2000s, which uh, was the period, so 9-11, and then the buildup to the war in Iraq. And um, the invasion of Iraq by the United States was extremely unpopular in Yemen. Uh, and Ali Abdel Saleh was uh, he, he very much um, wanted to be a U.S. ally uh, in the war on terror. And the U.S. carried out lots of, the U.S. gave Ali Abdel Assad lots of assistance uh, in the war on terror. Um, and um, Hussein al-Houthi uh, used the close relationship between the United States and uh, Ali Abdel Assad for his political gain. So in the north, Actually, on January 17th, uh, Hussein Ahouthi gave this speech in which he... Uh, what year? January 17th of what year? What? Uh, 2000, 2002. 2002. Okay. And um, he gave the speech in which he, he created the, the famous slogan of the, of the uh, movement, which is, uh, how does it go? Death to Israel, death to America, curse the Jews, long live Islam. <laughs> He's covered all his bases. That's right, that's right. That's right. 
and um, he gave that he gave that speech, and then his he he told his followers to go to go around through the mosques and start saying that, and uh, he did it. He did it in the north when the American ambassador was up there, and of course the American ambassador it was it was intentionally designed to irritate the U.S. ambassador, but more so to irritate Al Abdullah Salah. And um, he kept doing this, and his followers uh, came down to Sana'a from the far north, uh, and they went to the Grand Mosque, which is the the big mosque in Sana'a, and they started they started this chant. And um, so Ali Abdullah said, you know. I gotta arrest this guy. He's causing me. He's embarrassing me. And oh. he sent he sent a contingent up to arrest uh, Hussein Ahuthi. And um, a gunfight breaks out, uh, and then another and another. And uh, pretty soon there's a there's a small war going on in the north uh, between Hussein Ahuthi and his his supporters, and the Yemeni government. Um, and in the summer of 2004, they kill Hussein Ahuthi. The, the Yemeni government oh. uh, kills okay. And and uh, the Houthi movement is is the namesake of Hussein Ahuthi, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. And see, what has happened is that cultural Zaidi movement has now been transformed into a political movement. Hussein Ahuthi takes it and politicizes it. And if you if you read Hussein Ahuthi. It is not religious. It, he's not talking about religion at all. Uh, it, it, let me qualify that. He's not talking. He's not trying to be a Zaidi scholar. He is. He is just like uh, many Muslim movements. Uh, he is saying that um, the Muslim world is weak and uh, dominated, and Muslims need to wake up and they need to be politically united and. Uh, by doing so, they will overthrow their oppression. And the primary oppressors are the Americans and uh, the Israelis in the Middle East. And so if if the uh, the Muslims just stand up and get the United States out and get Israel out, get the Israeli influence out, then, uh, you know, Muslims will be strong and powerful and et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the, the gist of it. And so it's a geopolitical position. It's so not, this is not Islam, the theology. This sounds like political Islam. Correct. Yes, it's fair. Yeah. And the Houthi still are that way. I mean, you will find uh, with Adam Malik, Adam Malik is Hussein's brother who took over after Hussein was killed. Um, you, you will find theological uh, statements. You'll find theological arguments, and they're all trying to establish Shiism as the rightful Islam, and trying to establish Zaidism, a particular form of Zaidism, as the proper way to be a Muslim, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the the emphasis is geopolitics, uh, and in that sense, the you know everybody wants to know about Iran. What, what what role does Iran have? Well, yeah. In the in the beginning, we can say that. Uh, Hussein al-Houthi very much agreed with Iran, not because they're both sheep, not because of, you know, uh, theology, but because of their geopolitical stance. Uh, and, Interesting, and fact, you're saying it's not, it wasn't about necessarily about religion. This is about geopolitics. Yes, yes, absolutely. So here, let me just give oh. you an example. Um Hussein Houthi, he gave all the. He was, Hussein Houthi was clearly very charismatic, and he gave all these speeches, which have been uh, transcribed, uh, and are now are sort of the orthodoxy of the Hussein of the Houthi movement. 
Uh, and I remember in one, reading one of them in which he says, you know, uh, that he admires Hussein, uh, admires Khomeini, uh, but he he admires him not because of his uh, uh, Shiism, of his of his Twelver. That's the name for the Iranian Shiism. His Twelver, Imamiya, it's called. Not because of his Imamiya. He he admires him precisely because he went against the tenets of his religion. He went against the quietism of Imamiya. He made uh, uh, Iranian Shiism politically active, and that's why he admires him. And that's the same that Hussein al-Houthi says about Zaydism. In fact, at one point, Hussein al-Houthi says, what does, what does studying Zaydism do? Nothing. It makes us passive. It, it ruins our minds. Let's take these books and throw them against the wall. What we need to do is be active. That's what we need to do. So, I mean, it is, it is kind of religious. And so, and, and if you read uh, uh, Abdul Malik, the Houthi movement, he, they, they justify everything uh, in, in, you know, with Quranic quotes and, and all of this. So in that sense, it's religious, but the heart is geopolitics. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. Let's take a break here. In the next segment of our conversation, we'll talk about the Houthis and their wars and what's happening now. So join Dr. Schmitz and I tomorrow for the rest of this conversation. Understanding the Middle East can be quite challenging. No one single episode or any one particular conversation can do it justice. That's why I will soon begin my own takes and analysis of the Middle East, where I combine my words with videos of our guest scholars to unravel this region's long and long misunderstood history. You can get my takes in your inbox by subscribing to my free newsletter, the link for which is provided in the detailed caption of this episode. Also, please join Dr. Schmitz and I tomorrow for the rest of this conversation as we unravel the Middle East. If you enjoyed the music in our podcast, check out the links and attributions to the talented artists who created these wonderful pieces. As for our guests, the opinions and statements of our guests are their own. We neither agree nor disagree with them. We're only interested in the perspective they provide through history. At Unraveling the Middle East podcast, we're honored that our guests share their expertise with us, most of which are based on years of scholarship and research. And we provide links to their projects and publications for your benefit to review them if you wish. Otherwise, we're not affiliated with our guests. We just think they teach us pretty cool history the history of the Middle East. Also, unless we explicitly inform you, we're not affiliated with any institutions, including Amazon, for which book links are shared here from time to time for your convenience. Finally, as a reminder, we don't do news here. Rather, our guests provide in-depth analysis of and narratives from the past. And our mission is not to provide a complete account of this region with its long and complex history, Rather, is to highlight some issues and incidents from his past that may poke and prod your discerning minds to unravel the histories, myths, and mysteries of the Middle East. 
And if you disagree with our take on the history of the Middle East, well then, it means we've succeeded in getting you to think about complex issues that elude easy soundbite answers. And of course, share your thoughts with me by leaving comments on our social media pages or sending me an email to info at historybehindnews.com. I love to hear from you. I love to learn from you. Until next time, this is Adele with Unraveling the Middle East.